This is Recovery Revolution Live. The episode you're about to listen to is live and unedited. If you'd like to join us on the live stream, you can find us on Facebook and YouTube. Facebook.com slash Recovery Revolution 100 or search Recovery Revolution Live on YouTube. And I hit the wrong music, but hey, we're here. We're switching it up, bro. I hit the, I hit the outro music instead of the intro music. <laughs> Sounds like water drops. We'll do it live. That's it. Hell yeah, man. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Good evening, everybody. How's it going? We got Chad Davis with us. What's up, Chad? How you doing tonight? Great. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's a true honor. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you, man. I'm looking, I read your bio and I'm really looking forward to getting to know you better and hear your story. I try, see, that's why when we do that post or pre-show like little chat, I try to stay away from that stuff because want to keep, save it for the show, man. Right, right. Well, I we always get too of, deep. Yeah. And I had the honor of interviewing chat a couple weeks ago for, for recovery survey. And then the other person we had lined up had some family issues come up and was like, I have the perfect person. And I'm messaged Chad and he's like, yeah, I'd love to do it. He's like, all right, let's do it. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm awesome. excited to hear more from Chad. Our episode together hasn't come out yet. So yeah, I'm just excited to have him here again. He's a great guy. Excited to hear more from him. Yeah. Nice. Well, thank you. I look right forward on. to, to wherever it goes. I, uh, I have the gift of gab, so please, like, throw flags, be like, hey, hey, you know, intentional grounding, like, like, <laughs> stop, 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 we need to Does that mean uh, I get to clarify. use, like, sound effects tonight or something? Yeah, I yeah, whatever, like a, whatever you need, man, be like, Meh. I'm ready, I'm ready. <laughs> Yoink! <laughs> I don't have that one. <laughs> mm. You could do, like, a tire screeching when you're trying to tell him to shut up or, like, pump his brakes. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, time out, time out. Yeah. I don't know if I have that either. Man, I need to step up my sound effect game. <laughs> right. Mm. <laughs> yeah. That's fun. We, we're just, like, giggling. I love it. It's good energy to start it off with. So, Chad, why don't you uh, take a moment to introduce yourself a little bit? Uh, okay, so I'll give you, um, I have a personal resume and then I have a professional resume. Um, this is the, the same uh, spiel I give all my patients, so uh, I guess it'll probably be fitting. Um, I'm Chad. Um, I am Dr. Davis ABD. Um with a PsyD in health and wellness psychology. I have a bachelor's in psychology, a master's in psychology, and it all started with an addiction certification. Um, I've been in dual diagnosis, which means I deal with both mental health and addiction. I'm not sure why they separate it because uh, it's all in the same book. And I've never, ever met anyone in 13 years that their only issue is addiction. Like my life is perfect. I just, I just have uh, an addiction issue. So anyway, um, 13 years of that going on 14 years now, my life, uh, in a nutshell, 50 years, uh, I've had four different fathers. First one was uh, sexually abusive. Uh, second one was an abusive alcoholic. Third one wasn't much of anything. Um, but my mom tried to commit suicide during that transition. 
Fourth, we get along great now, but he is part of the reason that I left home when I was 16. Um, since then, I joined the, the Navy. I've literally lived coast to coast, uh, West Palm Beach, Florida to San Diego, California. More than 70 addresses in between. Wow. That does not include the five different times I was homeless, um, not due to amazing life choices. So uh, <laughs> I've seen the really good of life and I've seen the really bad of life. And um, uh, last time I was homeless was about 18 years ago. And uh, now here I am um, just needing a dissertation to complete my doctoral. So a lot has changed. <laughs> Amen, brother. That's awesome. That's a lot of moving. Holy crap. Yes. I, I mean, I thought I lived in a lot of places. I've lived in quite a few, but no. <laughs> nope. <laughs> it, uh, um, we moved all over the country. My mom's kind of like a horse whisperer. Um, she's amazing with animals in general, but uh, yeah, uh, we get, she'd get divorced. We'd move. Um, she'd move with uh, jobs. Um, and then and when I uh, when I left home, the Navy didn't help the numbers, and I just continued to uh, to float around like a, a leaf in the wind. Uh, my my real father said that I was living life in reverse. <laughs> I was traveling around like an old old dude, uh, seeing the world and and living while uh, while I was still young. So uh, I don't regret it. Um, it was definitely uh, an interesting jaunt for sure. <laughs> wow, it's crazy. <laughs> I wish kind of that I would have been able to do that. I never really went anywhere until recently. I had to be clean for a number of years before I uh, found a better paying job than I ever had before. And hmm. of course now I'm reliable, right? So I can actually hold down said job. And, hmm. and so I, and I don't piss my money away so I can actually save money and fix credit. All of a sudden I got to go on a couple vacations, you know, and, you're like, wow, this is crazy. Yeah, totally. And yeah. It, it didn't break the bank. It wasn't even like stressful. <laughs> and I wasn't running from the cops. <laughs> always a plus, right? <laughs> it's, a, it's the little things. It's the little things that make the difference. Bro, yeah. It, it probably sounds little to some people, but to me, it's like those are those huge like milestones or, you know. I'm like beaming with pride because it's like, I didn't know I could do that. I didn't know mm. I could do that. percent. Mm, still finding out what I can't do. But, uh, you know, I think that it sounds on the surface anyway, like you really have done well for yourself. I mean, you've been, uh, you know, you're a doctor. So, I mean, how long, how long have you been in recovery? What's your recovery date? Uh, so, uh, this is where, uh, uh, friction normally happens. I just consider all of that part of my life. Right. I don't focus on recovery. I recovered a long time ago and I don't wear it. I don't okay. associate with it. I don't rebreathe it. I don't relive it. It, uh, it is stuff that happens, um, but that's in my, my philosophy, my approach, that's, uh, that's how you move forward. We only continue to feel that which we dwell on and feed. And when you feed 
what you want to become, not who you were, that's who you become, right? Like, just like I'm not a, I'm not a Navy sailor anymore. That was a part of my life. Um, but I don't continue to wear that. I don't continue to talk about it. I don't use the lingo all the time anymore. That's mm. That was a phase of my life. Right. And that's how I see all of my past was I grew from it. I experienced it. Um, some of it was very difficult. Some of it was way outside of my preference, but none of it was wrong. And everything from it created who I am today. Um, but I'm not that person anymore. So like, I don't, I don't embrace it. It is, it just is right. Like, just like I tell my patients every day, yesterday doesn't matter. Doesn't. Right. You can grow from it, learn from it, adjust fire from it. Um, but the only thing that really matters is what are you doing today? Because right here, right now is all you got. Tomorrow's right. not promised and yesterday's gone. You can't make up for yesterday. You can't change yesterday. You can't relive yesterday. So who cares? What are you going to do today? That's what I ask everybody over and over and over again. Well, that's great. But what are you going to do today? <laughs> yeah. Right? If you don't want to live yesterday again, what are you going to do today? Right. Right. So the to answer your question, I don't have a date. Um, my epiphany. There you go. I was. Mm, 31. So you're talking 19 years ago. OK. Um, I was homeless living in the back of my blazer next to the river, and I was reading a book. Uh, called The Fifth Profession by David Morell. He's the same guy that wrote Rambo. And uh, it's basically, it's a, it's a Navy SEAL and a samurai team up to save the, gate, that, uh, save the day. Really good book. High insecurity is something that I had done. And I'm like, I'm like a samurai. Like, that's what I need to be. I need to be a samurai, right? Like, that's the ultimate executive protector. And because I am who I am, like I, I dove head first into research on like, okay, so what does the samurai believe? Like how, how do they create, how did they create this unflinching motif? The literally the, you know, the warrior and the poet, the, the, the teacher and, you know, and the student, like, how did they, how did they create that? And in the research, um, you know, they, they follow Zen, they follow Buddhism, um, Taoism, and I was, I knew just enough about uh, Buddhism to be stupid about it. And the only thing about Taoism that I knew was the little yin and yang symbol. So uh, I started reading, like, what, what is it? And one of the things that the Taoists believe is that there is no such thing as good or bad. Things just are your perception, your reaction, your attachments, your judgments um, are what makes something good or bad. And for whatever reason, probably because I was homeless next to the river, <laughs> um, like it really clicked. Uh, and I just started like, like laughing and crying at the same time. And like, 
all of the weight that I'd been carrying for, uh, you know, my whole life from like the why of the sexual abuse, the um, God must hate me because of all the stuff I've been through. When am I ever going to catch a break? Like uh, I'm homeless again, right? Like why, 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 why all these, all this stuff, uh, all of that weight fell away. And what was left was just freedom. I wasn't remorseful anymore. I wasn't resentful anymore. Um, I just was. And then it compounded with the Buddhist idea that life is pain. Suffering is optional. Suffering is what happens up here. And again, like all of that just kind of culminated into one epiphany of A, I'm, I'm judging the world that it's not happening wrong or that it's, you know, it's not happening right. Like everything that was going on in my life was wrong, which is laughable and nonsensical. If you actually think about that, like the world would have evolved the exact same way, whether I was alive or not, like the events would have transpired. I just wouldn't have been involved in them. So to say that it didn't happen correctly is, is, just ego. And then all of the weight that I was carrying, all of the am animosity, all of the anger, all the resentments, guilt, regret, um, I was doing to myself. <laughs> and as I, as I tell my patients now, it's like, okay, so basically your ego is creating a, a news report about your day, about your life, about your week, about your month. And you're getting upset about the news report that you're creating. And, and that is, like I said, when, when that really clicked, I was like, holy shit. <laughs> like, what, what have I been doing? <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting for the world to change so I can be happy. I'm waiting for, I don't know, an apology or something so I could be happy again and move forward mm -hmm. in life. And I'm like, I'm the only one that's pissing in my Cheerios. <laughs> no one else is. So uh, it just, it changed everything. It, uh, it totally redirected my stuff. I was able to, um, to forgive, uh, to forgive my dad. Uh, that in and of itself was like a, a 500 pound weight just fell off my shoulders. Mm -hmm. um, I put my hand on a shoulder and I, I was like, dad, man, I was like, put it down. It was a long time ago. And I, was immediately free. Like the, the millisecond I said it, I was free. Um, and that isn't is, that uh, the best feeling in the world too. That's uh, just so freeing, like forgiveness, letting go the, those things, dude, in the beginning, I was like, Holy shit. Like, I just felt like I was floating on cloud nine, man. Like I never realized how heavy all that was until I let it go. Right. And yeah. it was like you said, physically feel the weight lift off. One hundred percent. Beautiful. Um, and that's I advocate it to everybody because uh, most people are like, I could never forgive that person, and I'm like, I promise you, I promise you, with everything that I am, the forgiveness is not for them. It's not right. It's it doesn't let them off the hook because I, I truly, with my heart, forgave my dad. But 
<laughs> I, uh, knowing him, I know he didn't, uh, he didn't forgive himself. Yeah. Right. So it didn't free him. Right. And unfortunately that's them's the breaks, you know, we're only responsible for the effort, not the outcome, but sir. it works for you, sir. Yes. So that, that is, uh, the important thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it is definitely a path. And, um, that's what I advocate as well. Like whatever's working for you, man, in my book, I, I put something about some ramblings of like, if, if eating watermelons and throwing darts and, uh, listening to the Beatles is what's helping you move forward and find happiness and peace, then wear that shit out. Like it doesn't have to be anybody's model. If it's working for you and you're finding success in it, run, like, like move forward. You will find a path out. Um, so yeah. Right. Like whatever's working for you, man, wear that shit out. (laughs) That's what I always say. I'm like, I don't like, you know, only back a certain pathway like i'm like a total proponent for like if that's helping you then do more of that <laughs> you yeah, know like yeah. mm-hmm. i just want to see people get well i don't want to you know expect perfection or or tell them that this is there's the one concrete way because that's bullshit i know in my own journey it's changed and shifted and you know, I've learned a lot of things and a lot of different things have helped me. So it's, it's a process, man. Like if it, if it feels good, do more of that. If it's yeah. helping you heal, do more of that. 100%. Yeah. So is, uh, when you first started your path, was that what got you to start going to school for all the psychology or what was your inspiration for that? And was that before or after you stopped using substances? Um, it was much after, um, I didn't get into this until I was, uh, 30, uh, 36. So another five years down the road or so. Okay. Um, and the irony is <laughs> I was getting out of uh, personal training. I've been a personal trainer 20 plus years, right? Um, and I was telling one of my clients, I'm like, Hey, I'm going to be passing you off to someone else because I'm getting out of this. And they're like, okay, but like, what are you going to do? And I was like, I don't know. I was like, I still want to help people, but I don't want to do it in this setting. The irony is, is I use fitness and nutrition all the time <laughs> to help people like, like, you know, get back on track, get out of their own way, uh, help, you know, stabilize and rebalance chemicals and all that good jazz. Yeah. Um, but she was the one, it was her and her husband that opened the pup up. Uh, the path for this because they owned, and I don't know if it was a good thing or a bad thing, right? Like, uh, but my first experience was at a mat program uh, using Suboxone, right? And that's where I learned that I needed to know what addiction was myself. Because as I uh, talk about in the book, day one, right? Like I'm, I've got, literally like three or four notepads. I got like six different pens just in case I run out. Right. And, and I just want to absorb information. So I'm, I'm listening to the first counselor and I'm like, yeah, man, like I've got little diagrams and arrows and stuff to be like, to remember what, what he was saying and the examples that he was using. I'm like, sweet. And then the next day, another counselor comes in and all of a sudden they're talking a little bit different little bit and i was like okay 
that's not exactly what this other guy said, but whatever. And then the next day, a doctor comes in and he's hanging out in the room in between patients and he adds his two cents. And I'm like, he don't agree with either counselor. And then another doctor didn't agree. And I was like, okay. The only thing that everybody agreed on was that it had something to do with the brain. So on the way home that night, I bought my very first book on neuroscience. It was about two and a half, three inches thick. And I just started reading. And uh, that's when I started um, at ICDC College to get addiction certified. And uh, during that certification, the, one of the biggest things I learned there was I needed to know a whole lot more about psychology, about the why behind everything. Um, so I ate psychology up like like a fiend, man. I took literally every psychology course my undergrad offered, um, biological psychology, developmental psychology, cognitive psychology, um, adolescent psychology, abnormal psychology, criminology, like everything they had, counseling, addiction, everything. And then once you get into your master's, the only thing that really changes is you dive deeper into those topics. And then the same thing, once you get into your uh, doctorate, it's now it's like really getting deeper into it, right? Like it's, it's not A, B or C on a test. It's explain these concepts and why they matter. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so that was the, that was the path. And that's why I, uh, I wrote the book was, because what I was learning in research was not what was being taught. It's not what was being advocated. Yeah. And I'm like, there's, uh, there's a gap here. And the irony is, is that gap is pointed out in addiction textbooks, right? Like page one, paragraph one in most textbooks talk about in some form or fashion, there is a known evidence-based treatment gap between what we know in research that works and what is being applied in clinical settings. Yeah. And why would that be? Well, um, yeah, head up <laughs> <laughs> to keep the door revolving, man. Yes. Right. That um, sucks. Well, the the uh, that was the thing. So in my my master's thesis basically dove into. If you don't have a fitness and nutrition program in your recovery program you don't have a recovery program because it is that important, right? Like that was where I ended my master's in my doctoral. Each course that I took, I basically dove into, okay, so we know there's a treatment gap because that's the irony, right? Like I, how little I knew back then I got into school thinking I'm going to save the day. I'm going to fix addiction, mm. right? Cause I know I got out. Like people are saying, that you can't do what I did. So I'm like, I'm going to save the day. I'm going to be fucking Superman's fly in and be like, Ooh, right. <laughs> I never yeah, yeah. had any issues finding research for the papers that I was writing about what's wrong with addiction. Right. It's not that we don't know. Like a lot of my papers had 20, 30, 50. I had one 50 page paper that had more than a hundred citations. Yeah. Right. The information's out there. We're just not applying it. And that's what, if you can't tell, <laughs> that's what frustrates me is like when I first started research, we were only losing about 35,000 people due to overdose. Mm. Last year was over 110, yeah. just the overdose. 
And I'm like, so a slight tangent here and you can you can throw a no. flag or, or whatever if you want but we don't do that man so, okay just, okay let's go down the rabbit hole. I'm, just, I'm just saying so <laughs> if, if i start getting too far just just uh just flag me down the <laughs> the irony that we shut down our nation mm. because of covid right that has a you know a <laughs> A 99.998 whatever survivability rate. Trillions of dollars to help people. Yet alcohol kills more than 250,000 people in the U.S. every year. Overdose deaths are over 100,000 and growing exponentially. So it's not that people were dying... Is that the wrong people were dying? Mm. Right? Because in this subgroup of people, thousands die all the time. A hundred and something, uh, 108, 112, 118, like depending on which organization you look at or whatever, dies every day. No one seems to give a shit about that. Right? right? So, like, that's, again, that's why the book, I'm like, Part of the passion to write it came from my patients in the groups that were like, you know, I'm talking about psychoneuroimmunology, I'm talking about epigenetics, I'm talking about neuroplasticity, and I'm showing videos and handing out papers and research stuff to be like, look, like this is like this is real stuff, man. I ain't just making this up. Like this, this is a study, this is a research thing. This is here's a video of this other professor explaining exactly what I'm talking about. And they're all like, Chad, if this is true, why have I never heard this before? I've been to rehab seven times, 10 times, 15 times. I've been in prison programs a dozen times. I teach these programs. I've been through so many of these programs. Mm. And they're like, why have I never heard this? And that, that was part of the passion to write the book was for all of those, why have I never heard this information? Because Absolutely. it's not new. A lot of the stuff that I advocate in the book and a lot of the stuff that I talk about, which is wrong in our understanding of addiction, that research has been out since the 70s, man. This isn't something that was discovered last year that just hasn't made it out. Right. Right? So to, to address the why, that, that was my doctoral process, right? So if we know there's this evidence-based treatment gap, why is it still there? We've got textbooks that say it's there. Why is it still progressing? What is, what is the issue? I can't be the only one. I'm not that smart. I'm pretty sharp tack, but I ain't that smart <laughs> that no one else has thought, hey, maybe we can change this. The issue is this. One, there are so many people that are simply biased to their own beliefs. That is one of the reasons because you get these people in at lower levels in treatment programs that then become higher level in treatment programs. And it is known that basically whatever the belief is of the person that's running the program, that's what's dictated. Hmm. Well, old school is 12 steps. Old school is disease model. They don't want to hear anything else. Right. Like that's that is part of it. So just straight up professional bias is part of it. Another major obstacle is insurance. 
most programs out there are insurance driven. Insurance only pays for what is billable. The only thing that's billable is disease model based. So that's the second major hurdle. Insurance would have to change, which means big pharma would have to change. The third is the actual industries themselves is like a giant cog wheel, right? Because you have the medical profession, which 100% backs the disease model. Then you have the psychological profession that has, I don't, I don't know, I, don't, I couldn't even guess at a percent. We're just going to say 60, 40, 75, 25, whatever of those that back the disease model because they haven't done any further research and those that have done research that are like, we need to get rid of this, right? Like there are organizations, there are groups out there that like they want to totally trash the disease model. There are some that say that they at least needs to be updated at bare minimum. Mm. But to do that, one of the main factors is the criminal justice system as well. Because if, you're arrested for a DUI and you have to go through a program. There are certain standards for that. And those standards are still based on the disease model. And then of course you have education. I've had professors that have been bravo for thinking outside of the box. And I've had professors that totally shut me down for thinking outside of the box. Right. Right. So the medical association, the psychological association, the criminal justice system, the insurance system and education would all have to get on the same page <laughs> in order to change things, which yeah. I'll hold my breath. Right. And we'll try to get there as quickly as we can. <laughs> That's why I'm over here la like laughing when you said that, because it, and it is frustrating, but it's like either I'm going to get really pissed off or I'm going to fucking laugh about it because uh, it's there's just so much work to do. And it, like to your point, it's the information's out there. Like we know what works. Yes. Yeah, it's I proven. Didn't, I didn't transcribe anything from Aramaic or ancient <laughs> sacred texts. I didn't find some government document that was, wasn't redacted or something to be like, Oh my God, no one knows about this. Right. Like there were like these, you can, you can use Google scholar and find the majority of the research that I used. Right. Right. It's in textbooks like um, one of the best quotes from Lake Placid, in my opinion, was, yeah, they hide information like that in books. <laughs> right. Mm. Like, uh, <laughs> so, you know, they keep them in those places called libraries. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, yeah, those libraries that no one goes to anymore. Be like, right. What's a library. That's funny. Um, I do. I do have something I wanted to ask you about, Chad. Yeah. And it's uh, you'd mentioned that when you started your journey that you were an MAT program and mm -hmm. you were taking Suboxone. So no, uh, I was, I was working there. I wasn't taking Suboxone. Oh, well, never mind then. Well, that just <laughs> shot my questions out of the way. Oh, far away. I'm, 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 well, I was, I was going to say, I was going to ask if you had weaned off of them and then like, like, uh, just how, how was that like because i know a lot of people that are you know i know some people that have successfully weaned off it and they said it was very hard and then i know some people that have still you know that in my opinion they should have been off of that stuff a long long time ago but they're still not so i was just i, I thought you'd said that you were uh doing mat not working mat yeah work working at mat well so um 
I can I can still answer your question uh, to both sides because I've experienced all of that as uh, through through patients. Okay. Um, I had a couple pro- poster children, if you will, like that actually applied what I talked about um, and would advocate in the groups. Like I loved it when they would come in because I'm like, yes, someone to validate what I'm actually talking about, right? Because it's it's different. Like even though even though I've been homeless, even though I've been sexually abused, even though I've been abused, even though like I've seen like some of the worst shit in life, people don't see that. They see me today. Right. And they're like, well, what do you know about anything? So <laughs> stinking thinking, right? Like, ah, you can't help me. You're not in it right now. Be like, yeah, don't have someone that actually got out help you. <laughs> right. <laughs> what would I know about it? <laughs> um, <laughs> but the the people that did actually wean off and get out were also very physically active and they were eating much better. And that was all, again, that was the, during my master's, like all the research that I was doing for it, like the importance of activity and it, you don't have to go to the gym to be active, but like physical activity, like motion, we are built to be a hunter gatherer, your body is designed to travel five to 15 miles a day, hunter gathering. We function better when we move. Mm. Right. So, and most of our food isn't even food, right? Like it's food, like products. There's a uh, functional medicine talks about like, if you're, if your food has more than five ingredients, it's not even a food, it's a food, like product, mm-hmm. right? All of that has an impact on your, uh, your, biochemicals your neurochemicals your gut right like so many people have zero clue how important your gut is like it's called the second brain for a reason the majority of your serotonin is made in your gut right like your gut health is extremely important for mental health more or less your just normal physical health right and then understanding psychoneuroimmunology there is no mind and brain there is mind and brain and it is intimately intricately and reciprocally intertwined the better you think the better you feel the better you feel the better you think right which is where the four pillars of health from functional medicine come in move well eat well sleep well relax well they're all reinforcing right so those that applied that concept tapered down this is in a year time the gentleman that I'm using as a specific reference, he was using three a day. They called it the trifecta in the, the uh, um, Tennessee, Virginia area. Uh, three Suboxone, three Klonopin, and three Neurotin a day, which is like more than a horse needs. But um, <laughs> And he tapered down to he was taking one two milligram strip every other day and then he got off and he brought his uh he had uh, a couple a couple kids and he brought them in and was like this is the guy that saved your dad's life man and like that's you can't buy that like that's amazing um but he was good and the other people were good i had people come in that were like because i would challenge them i'm like prove me wrong i'm like start walking every day uh, you know, drink some extra water, like quit eating junk and try an apple and prove, just 
come in and say, yes, I did what you did, what you said for a week. And I don't feel any better. Right. And they couldn't, they'd come in and be like, Oh my God, I feel so much better. Like why is walking just making me feel better? Wow. I'm like, so again, 1999, Duke University landmark study. We know that power walking for just 30 minutes, just three times a week, is just as effective as Zoloft from Jump Street and more effective than Zoloft in the long run. Why is that not on every billboard from coast to coast? Because hmm. there's no money and you're just going for an afternoon walk with your kids. Right? Like, Good yeah. job, Brett. <laughs> yeah money 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 right he did he did a good sound effect <laughs> right on time right on time yeah, bing. that's yeah. awesome so, uh like, yeah, yeah dude that's that's amazing though and thank you because i know you know and to your point i can't i can't get anybody to follow your suggestions but you know it's 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 not even it's not just an answer but it's practical advice as well that they could put to use today you know mm -hmm. they could start doing it today so i'll definitely be showing this to some people that i know that are really want off it but yet they never get off of it you know what I mean? yeah. and like you've got to like the whole reason it's so difficult and i i sympathize i used to tell and the doctors hated me for it but i would tell every new patient that came in you want to get off of this stuff as quickly as possible right? Like six months or less, if you use it the way it's suggested, yeah. right? Like if you look at its own literature, cause it's just a tool, it's not good or bad. It's, it's a medication yeah. used properly. It's an amazing tool. The issue is, is per its own directive, a long taper is 21 days. Right. Like you're supposed to take just enough to not be in withdrawals. End of list. Right. You're not supposed to be taking two a day, one a day, what, like just enough to not be in withdrawals. And that's where you start and you start tapering from there. That's in its mm -hmm. own literature. Mm -hmm. So a 21 day deet and because it's supposed to just be a detox. Right. That's the way it's supposed to be used. Okay. The issue is, is mat programs that especially in certain areas that are growing like mushrooms, right? Like they're, they're more predominant than McDonald's nowadays in some areas. They'll give you two or three to jump, right? Because the reality is, is most of them are cash. And if you're not working, where are you coming up with $400 a week for the office visit and another $800 a week for your medication? If you ain't working, you're going to need some extra ones so you can come back next week. Right. Like it's self, it's self-serving and it's, it's horrible. I, I spoke to um, congressional aides in both Tennessee and Colorado to try to change policies and uh, I'll hold my breath, <laughs> right. but part of the, part of that issue is, and what I would advocate is it works really, really well. It does bond to your receptors really well. But that means that when you don't have it, all of those receptors are screaming, mm -hmm. right? Like you could be like, say, an oxy or a roxy or something like that is, you know, maybe it bonds the 30, 30% 30 of your receptors, 40% of your receptors. Mm -hmm. Suboxone bonds to like 98, 
99%. So when you don't have it, two to three times as many receptors are screaming that they don't have it, which is why you feel so bad for so long. So you need to get your neurochemicals and your biochemicals back on track. How do you do that? Exercise and good food. Wow. Right? Like, it's that simple. But the issue, and this is this is an honest question. It's in my book. Because um, I didn't get it. I really didn't. I didn't know why people wouldn't just apply what I was talking about. Like, if you really want to recover, you're in here, theoretically, to recover. I'm telling you, hey, drink an extra bottle of water. Drink a bottle of water. Right. Water tastes bad. What? <laughs> some, of, some of the drugs that you've taken, some of the alcohol, you're drinking cologne, but water tastes bad. Right? I'm like, go for a walk. I don't know. I like I, I don't want to walk around my block. Be like, used to walk seven miles each way uphill barefoot to go get your fix. Yeah. But you won't walk around the block now to oh. to feel better. <laughs> Be like, just just sit down and breathe. Just meditate. Be mindful. De-stress for a moment. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that. Be like, you <laughs> sit around zoned out on your couch all day, and now you won't do it for five minutes because it'll benefit you? And I, I would. I would ask. I'm like, I don't get it. I would ask people in the rooms. Like, outside of recovery rooms, you are the fucking Terminator. You wouldn't go to bed before you had your fix. You would beg, borrow, steal, stab, plead to make sure you had what you needed for the next day. But you come in here and I ask you to do a handful of very basic things and you have no idea how you're going to get it done. I'm like, <laughs> what? What happened? How did you become like, you know, from Terminator to, I, I don't know, Pee Wee Herman or whatever? Like, I, I didn't get it. Like I would, I would ask. I'm like, honestly, like what's, why? And one of my other poster children, if you will, was sitting in group one day when I was asking that. And he was like, he's like, Chad, I have your answer, man. If you really want to know. And I was like, yeah, like, I'm like, I just blowing smoke. Like what the fuck? <laughs> and He's like, well, he's like, he's like, first, he's like, you know, you're my boy. He's like, you know, I advocate everything that you talk about to everybody that I work with, everybody that I see. I am living proof that it works. He's like, but brother, to apply what you are talking about, people have to want to be alive tomorrow. Uh, Dude, and that sat me back in my chair like Tyson hit me on the chin. I was like, holy shit. I totally revamped how I approached addiction and recovery that day forward. Because if like everything that I was talking about was correct, but if people didn't have the meaning, hope, or purpose to even be alive tomorrow, they don't give a shit about their health. They don't even care if they're going to be alive tomorrow. Yeah. Right. And so that's where like I, I just spun stuff around. I, I started I started like working on them like you got to be yeah. able to love yourself. 
Um, that's where it starts. Like, let's just build self, like screw everything. Yeah, kind of build them up before you give them that. Yeah. Or I mean, anything that's a, else. That was a very astute observation on his part to, to point that out. Like that's, that's profound, you know? Yeah, dude, it, it, I told like it totally revamped everything, everything that I was doing at the time. Um, and it's a baseline of where I am today of until, until you can at least love you a little bit. And that's like, uh, I think I mentioned it in my book, but like, that's the, the proof in the pudding, if you will, that I, that I talk about, like, I don't know how many moms that I've worked with over the 13, 14 years I've been helping people that when they're month and a half, month, month and a half to delivery, they start stressing out. And I'm like, what's the matter? And they're like, I'm worried about relapsing after delivery. And I'm like, why? Like you've been clean and sober for the last seven months that we've been talking like life's good. Right. And you're doing all this stuff and you're feeling good and, and looking good. And like, you know, their, uh, their self-care is, is, you know, they're not just coming in their PJs with their hair up or whatever, like their makeup on hair's done, um, wearing, you know, the normal clothes and all this good stuff. And they're like, yeah, but once I deliver, like, I'll probably go back to using. And the deeper discussion was, is the reason they were able to stop was because they loved the child in them more than they loved themselves. Mm. Mm. So my reframe for recovery became, began and became imagine if you could learn to love yourself as much as you did your child, because if you could stop for your child, then maybe the same leverage could be used for you. And that's why I advocate that the opposite of addiction is not <coughs> sobriety. The opposite of addiction is love. Mm. <clears throat> yeah. Right. It's awesome, man. You're, you're super smart. I love it too. Cause it's not very often you get to, you know, hear somebody who can articulate what they're trying to, the message you're trying to get across in such a good way that, I mean, it's, you know, like for instance, you're, thank you for the thoughtful response about the suboxone question, right? Cause that you went so deep in that response and really uh, like, I learned a thing or two listening to you. Cause I, you know, I mean, I'd never been on that stuff, never needed to be. And, you know, I was kind of in your camp where I was like, I don't get it, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> but uh, no. Yeah. Just th thanks for that, man. Like, yeah. And, and hearing about like the 90% of receptors, like I had no idea yeah. about that either. Yeah. None of that. I didn't, I didn't know none of that shit. I bet you $20 that none of the people that I know that are struggling to get off of that shit mm. know any of that either. The, the irony is every day I would bring out the Suboxone, like the part that comes with the medication that everybody just throws away. Cause a lot of people would complain about a lot of the side effects that is created by Suboxone. And they'd be like, man, you know, I'm just, I kind of feel like I'm still dope sick and da 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 da. And I'd pull it out and I'm like, right there one of the side effects is dope sickness like it makes you feel that way 
Mm. It makes you feel sick. It makes you makes it creates chronic pain, right? Like a lot of people take it for pain and then they're like, yeah, but I'm like, I feel like I'm in more pain. And I'm like, yes, because prolonged opiate use enhances chronic pain because it's shutting down your own natural endorphins, mm. right? But no one tells anybody that. It's all out there and doctors should fucking know better. Right. Yeah. But I'm not going to turn you away, right? You want to come giving me your money? Then just keep, right? Come on back. See and you next month. Pump, and they keep pumping out the strips, you know, like 100, percent uh, right? That's man, the that sucks when it's when it's the majority of people that were coming into our programs were addicted to Suboxone, and that's the issue. As is I'm like, Suboxone isn't made in the back seat or the trunk of someone's car, right? It's it's not created in some meth lab somewhere. Suboxone came on the streets through a damn prescription. And that's part of the issue, right? Like, that's why it's like trying to ice skate uphill is because all of this stuff, number one, people don't talk about the reality of you don't have to be in recovery for your whole life. You can actually be recovered. And that dump jumps into the whole expectancy theory of motivation that we we can talk about at some point if you wish. But like we don't talk about the realities of the potential for recovery. We don't talk about the reality of what addiction is. We don't talk about what the drugs that everybody's like, yeah, just take this. We don't talk about what they do. We don't talk about the side effects. We don't talk about, yeah, yeah, keep taking it for as long as you need. Of course, if you take it for more than just a few months, it's going to be hell coming off of this. Like, I don't know how many people said that stopping heroin or oxys or roxies or anything else was a hundred times easier than stopping suboxone. Right. That's what I was getting. That's why I asked about it. Yeah. Cause I'm like, I wish I knew how to help them. You know what I mean? But yeah. I don't really have a frame of reference with it uh, personally, right. you know, but I do know that I know some people that have successfully came off of it. So yeah. I'm like, I know it can be done. And then yeah. I'll tell them, like, you should reach out to this person. You should reach out to that person. That's pretty much the extent of what I can do is right. just refer them over. Like, hey, talk to my friend so-and-so because she did it, you know. Did they reach out? I don't know. Probably right. not. Yeah. Probably not. Well, the um, my phrase is uh, I no longer try to drag a horse to water and I no longer try to make it drink. I simply try to make it thirsty. If I can help it become thirsty, it'll find its own water and drink all by itself. True. Right. So that's it. Like just, just plant the seed and hopefully the, the thirst for freedom, the thirst for knowledge, the thirst for I'm sick and tired of this crap will take over and they'll do it themselves, but you can't make them. Right. You can't force them. So. Right. Inspire. That's uh that's always been my my idea. Just inspire. Hell yeah. Well, I mean, and you're an inspiring person yourself. I mean, from homeless to finishing up your doctorate, like come on. That's that's an inspirational story right there, like tragedy to triumph from Right. Well, and that's why I share to, it, right? Like yeah. that's people like people need to know that, yeah, you know, like I've faced a ton of adversity, but here I am. And, you know, yeah, yesterday was yesterday and that sucked. And yes, that was painful. And um, I think it's uh, uh, 
Eric Thomas, one of his big catchphrase quotes is, I dare you to take some pain. Because that's what we get so programmed to avoid all pain. We think that all pain is bad, but pain is what causes change, yeah. right? Like I couldn't even imagine going to the gym and stopping as soon as something started to burn, be like, well, that's my workout. You're like, no, <laughs> man, like you got to dig. Like you, you want that pain. You want to be sore. Yeah. Not, not so sore. You can't move for a week, but like, you know, like hitting some pain is good, right? Like that's even how you overcome chronic pain and stuff is increase your own pain threshold by pushing through a little bit of pain every day until it increases to where you can live. Right. So that's part of the answer for the Suboxone is yes, when you stop, it ain't going to be unicorns and fairies and sprites floating around with, you know, like it's probably going to suck for a day or two. Not like it would if you just stopped cold turkey, but you're you're on, as I used to tell people in, in the groups, you're on this side of the river. You got to get to the other side. You're going to get wet. You're not getting out of this totally pain free. Right. Like uh, there's so many people that are like. I'm just going to wait until they come out with the next drug. So that's going to help me get off Suboxone. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> Like, listen to what you're saying. Like, if that's not <coughs> the issue here, I don't know what it is. <laughs> well, wait for a pill to get off the pill of the pill that I was using. <laughs> right. Yeah. We we got a question here in the comments. It says, what are your views on marijuana maintenance while in recovery? Is that an oxymoron or a viable means to stay off the killers? Parentheses narcotics. Ah, okay. So um, this is my thoughts on any med. I don't care if it's marijuana, cocaine, heroin or otherwise it all depends on why you're using it because the thing itself is not an issue right like if you come home and you can have a beer after work because it was a long day it's just a beer after work if you use marijuana because it helps you with pain then use some so it helps you with pain my question would be is what else are you doing to help you alleviate that mm. Right. Because there are a lot of other things that you can do for any of it to drop stress, to uh, mitigate pain, to increase cognition, to drop stress. Right. Like um, orthomolecular psychiatrists use the minimum amount of medication and the maximum amount of holistic approach to help people get whatever they need. And that's what I advocate is use whatever you need. But. If you don't want to be dependent, because if you use anything for any amount of time, you're going to become dependent on it, even if you're not addicted to it. And that's a, a misnomer in um, a lot of just general understanding, understandings about addiction is dependence is not addiction. Dependence is you've used something long enough to where if you don't have it, you will go in withdrawals, but you can detox and use it again and not be dependent on it. Now, if you're addicted to it, you're also dependent, right? So I don't know if that answers your question. Um, but yeah, it's any any medication, legal or otherwise, is just a tool. And how are you how are you choosing to use that tool, right? Like a, a carpenter can use a hammer to build an amazing home for him and his family. That same carpenter can use that same hammer to tear down that same home. So how are you using it? 
No, I think that's a great point. And, and I mean, I gave in, I can speak from my own personal experience, not with the marijuana side of things, but like I take blood pressure medicine and I would say that I'm dependent on that because I have to have that to keep my blood pressure regulated, but I'm also not eating healthy. If I changed and, and ate healthier and exercised more, I could probably get off get of that off medication. Of 100%. Yep. And that's, yeah, that's a perfect example. Yeah. Right. And it's, you know, it's what, what's important to you. How much time do you want to invest in whatever it is you're wanting to do, right? Like a medication is a, is a great tool. It is, um, there is a difference between curing symptoms and healing. Mm. Medication cures a symptom. It does not heal you. Right. Right. So it just, just depends. What do you want to focus on? What do you want to do right now? What is the most important thing to you? If tomorrow wasn't around, who cares? that goes back to my thing man what are you doing today that's really the only thing that matters right because it's never too late to try something different 100 percent. you know like i don't know about you guys but i want the healing i don't want to just cure a symptom i want i want to get better i want to not need Mm -hmm. to cure i don't i don't want to i want to fix the symptoms so i don't need to cure the symptom 100%, 100%, right? And that's the, um, people always ask, they're like, like, well, how do I know when I'm on the right track? <laughs> when you can sit in a quiet room all by yourself without any entertainment and be okay, you're on the right path. That's awesome. Right? Because you're learning to love you. You're learning to love your own company, your own thoughts. You can be, you can be okay with, be alone with your own thoughts and be okay. <laughs> I love that you said that because that's so true in my experience. Like, you know, whether it's doing that, you know, just sitting in quiet, I never used to ever do that. Mm-hmm. And now I find I do it more and more like where I won't turn on the TV or music, you know, like I'll just be sitting, you know, chilling, just sitting there. <laughs> and I'll be like, I've been sitting here for like the last hour. No, I was almost dozing off. Uh, you know, it's just like, what the heck? But, uh, you know, I think about that or, or like looking at yourself in the mirror, you know, for mm-hmm. more than, for more than like two seconds. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. I used to like, my skin would crawl. Like I just had mm-hmm. made me really uncomfortable. And I was like, man, when I finally could like hold my own gaze for 10 seconds, it was like, mm-hmm. holy shit. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yes. pretty awesome. It is, man. That's uh, and I would advocate just to to help normalize it. Some is uh, ninety nine percent of everybody that I've worked with in the past, addiction or otherwise, their root issue is, in some form or fashion, I'm not enough. Mm. Right, I'm not sexy enough, pretty enough, tall enough, smart enough, successful enough. I wasn't a good enough mom, dad, brother, sister, son, daughter, whatever. It is, uh, it is a true epidemic in, in everybody that I've dealt with. If their roots is always, everybody thinks I'm magic, but it's just, I know what I'm looking for. There's some echo of I'm not enough. And as soon as you realize that not only are you enough, but you have always been enough. Mm. You're free. 
because that that belief that has been causing the issue changes and you're healed right you don't have to there is no you don't need a cure for depression or a cure for anxiety they just go away just like my epiphany in the in the back of the blazer that that night uh that set me free yeah yeah that's awesome man well so how long ago did you write your book um sort of uh, this past september it was a it was a goal of mine um to be published by my 50th birthday i've been working on this thing for 14 years and oh, wow. uh, it just kept growing <laughs> and it's actually at one point in time it was like three books because i have the other two in process now um it was a, a combination of three books, which is why it was never ending. And I was, I was trying to explain all of the stuff that's in this one. I was trying to put in how I treat addiction and recovery. And I was also trying to explain why we're in such a shit state that we're in. So um, I decided to break them up so I could at least get one published <laughs> uh, before the, the world burns down. Be <laughs> <laughs> like, the world's on fire. Hey, do you want to buy a book? <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> hey. um, but, uh, but yeah, it was, uh, it was literally this, uh, this past September. Awesome, man. Yeah. That's crazy. 14 years you're working on that. Well, it just, because it, it's, it kept evolving. Every time I gained a new understanding, I'm like, well, shit, now I got to scrap that or add all of this or that doesn't even fit anymore. Or like when I like learned the whole thing about, you know, you got to be alive tomorrow. I'm like, well, back to the drawing board. And, you know, that's undoing all that, redoing all that over and over and over again, getting deeper and deeper into things, gaining deeper understandings, understanding the complexities of the surface stuff that I was talking about. And it's like... Yeah. I learn new shit all the time, man. Like right. every day I'm reading, reading, uh, uh evidence-based, uh, articles, uh, papers. And that's why in my understanding that I have a fuller view is because one, I didn't just read what was handed to me Two, I dove into neuroscience, epigenetics, which is a facet of biology all aspects of psychology and the the issue is is none of those people talk right like my brother's a pa and hmm. although he can treat people in recovery his whole training on addiction was like he had one class that talked about addiction for like one chapter hmm. so like the medical side of it they're taught to prescribe they're not taught to understand the underpinnings of what drive emotional behavior, right? Like they, um, when he talks with his patients and he is an extremely passionate guy about helping people, they don't have enough time. I know he's talking to somebody for five or 10 minutes tops. Like he can't get into their history and, and what's going on. And like, let's talk about some nutrition and stuff. Like they're the, insurance company is driving the hospital or facility to push people through like sheep to make money. Yeah. Right. 
So it's um <laughs> you see that bridge just wanted to know how she can get you to sign it because she just bought it. Uh, um I have some. Um we'll have to <laughs> you I don't know. We'll figure that out. Maybe you mail it to me and I'll sign it. I'll put in a, a nice little uh nice little quote and I'll mail it back to you. How's that? Because nice. I definitely uh I, I've sent some patients some signed some signed copies or whatever. That's awesome. Right. Yeah. Um but part of and I, I do want to talk about this because I think this is like the it's 12 steps 2.0 for a reason. Right now. I want to back up and reiterate what I said in the beginning, because I still stand behind that. Whatever you're doing, if it's working for you, wear that shit out. So if AA, straight up AA, straight up NA, whatever is working for you, more power to you. I am happy that you found a path and God bless you. However, there are a lot of things in the 12 steps and the disease model that are inaccurate that are limiting and that are also just simply straight up not true. And in my experience on the research side of it, it is what is really hindering a lot of people in their recovery. Part of understanding, like let me preface it with that, understanding that the 12-step programs are the majority of all programs for recovery across the U.S., right? Jail-based programs are 12-step. Um, most uh, um, government programs are 12 steps. Most grant-funded programs are 12 steps because that is what insurance pays for, okay? So understand that, that what is being spread through the most, most recovery efforts is extremely outdated, inaccurate, and detrimental information. That's obviously not going to set someone up for success. One of the things that never made sense to me, especially in understanding like other ideologies of um, just how to see yourself and how to see the world, was if I told you day one, no matter what you do, you're not going to succeed that you're always going to just suck at whatever it is you're trying to do. How motivated are you going to be to try to succeed? Right? Like if I told you, Hey, um, yeah. So, so you want to be an auto mechanic. Well, you can work your butt off for the rest of your life, but you're never actually going to become an auto mechanic. Um, the best you can ever do is, um, go to school to, to learn auto mechanics. That is going to drop motivation. I got a perfect example of that. And it's how, when you go to a treatment program inpatient or whatever it is. And one of the first things you learn is that the statistics show that uh, nine out of 10 of you will be back. Yeah. Why do they have to tell you that shit on the first fucking day? (laughs) Right. So part of my understanding through life, through other philosophies of life, 
and through evidence-based research is this. The expectancy theory of motivation has three core components to it. Is it possible? Can I do it? Is it worth my time and effort? Well, if you are stuck with an incurable, relapsing, progressive brain disease that you can't do anything about, it's no longer possible. If no matter what you do, you're always going to be an addict, you can't do it. And if it's not possible and you can't do it, why would it be waste your, worth your time? Right. And that is the theory of why is someone motivated to achieve something? Wow. Right. So just on a straight up, regardless of everything else, just on a straight up psychological component to why people engage in activities to become successful, you've just hamstringed everybody at the start line. Mm -hmm. Instead of saying, which is, this is the truth. This is in longitudinal studies. This is spanning 15 years, roughly, of longitudinal research involving groups of 30,000, 40,000, 70,000 people. Research shows that even without assistance, the recovery rate is actually about 75%. Why don't they start with that? That's a fact. Yeah. Right? Wow. Like, be like, holy shit. Like, it's pretty likely that I'm going to recover, especially since I have some help, instead right. of just trying to wing it and figure it out by myself. Why not say that day one? Instead of you're screwed for the rest of your life, no matter what you do. Okay, so these are the things that you're going to do. Be like, why would I do any of that? You just told me already that no matter what I do, I'm screwed. So right. I'm going to go watch Judge Judy and eat my bomb. <coughs> right? Crazy. Yeah. So like that was that was truly part of like this is part of my uh, doctoral dissertation is this is exactly what we're talking about now is the research for this very thing to prove this that mm. the core concepts of aa destroy a person's motivation from jump now again yes and people will say well aa helped me recover and aa saved my life and that's awesome and i am very very happy for you imagine how many other millions of lives it could have saved if they would have been told day one the truth Instead of all of the people that show up and then, like I said, like how many, how many rehabs, how many times have you heard the exact same thing? Rehab teaches you what to say in 12 step meetings. I don't know. I mean, I think personally for me, I mean, I don't know what was necessarily different when it, when, uh, you know, like I got, uh, you know, actually stayed clean or, you know, you know, like got, sober but you know and like started to get the recovery concepts but i mean i think it was just you know i stopped thinking i knew shit and i started listening to other people <laughs> but it wasn't the people that were you know like the counselors at the treatment center it was when i really started to get myself in the middle of the recovery community <laughs> those people you know to your point earlier you know at the top you said you know people 
want to want to doubt your ability to help them like you because you're not homeless now but like you were so right. you know and if people right. with lived experience i think have that kind of you know that midas touch yes. uh and so for me it was like you know and you talked about those three things right like i got the hope right mm -hmm. from hearing their stories mm -hmm. and and then it also showed me that I could do it. Mm -hmm. And then when I could see the fruit that was bearing in their lives, it made me know that it was worth my time and effort to do it. Right. 100%. Um, I didn't get that from, uh, you know, like, a from the, the treatment center per mm -hmm. se, you mm -hmm. know, but I definitely got all that from the 12, you know, whether it was 12 step, I went yep. to other meetings too, right. but any, and basically anything recovery related, like even fellowship events and shit, just being around so many people who have overcome and hearing the way they talk and how passionate they are and getting that hope shot again and again. Right. The big reason why I love doing this, you know, and got right. into podcasting and the power of other people's stories is just like, almost nothing is as powerful as serious hope shot you know mm -hmm. it can change everything right 100 so i think you know because you're saying like treatment trains you on how to speak in recovery meetings i don't know i kind of feel a different at least in my area it was like way different like once i actually tried it and like went and and got involved in the community and actually started talking to people and getting to know people and all that jazz. It, it was like, this is where it's at. This is it. Like treatment, I think taught you a whole bunch of shit, you know, random shit. And the, from the sounds of this conversation, a lot of really inaccurate shit, <laughs> uh, which, you know, to your point made you feel like you were doomed or something. Mm -hmm. But then ultimately what does treatment do? It points you in the direction of, meetings like yep. go to AA, go to na go to cma go to some a right right <laughs> and but i'm glad that i finally did that maybe that was part of what was different and the fact that i wanted to kill myself and i just mm. finally fucking gave up any hope of self-sufficiency i didn't believe in myself anymore or trust myself at all you know mm -hmm. so i needed guidance uh since I couldn't seem to kill myself, I couldn't even do that. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It sucked, but you know, it took, I had to go that deep and I know a lot of people don't, you don't need to lose it all. You don't got to burn every bridge to get well. You just right. gotta, you know, let somebody teach you some stuff and follow some suggestions. Do some, let people guide you, whatever pathway you choose. If it works, like different strokes for different folks. 1000%, right? Yeah. Man, man. Uh, always, always, if it's working, man, wear it out. Because that's... I love like, that. Wear different. that shit out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, 100%. That's the, uh, I mean, like the longitudinal studies, right? They didn't follow any model. They weren't following AANA, 12 steps, CBT, REBT, IFSP, like none of the alphabet soup. Like they just figured it out. Like, however, like there, there's research on like what yeah. can enhance someone's recovery. Mm-hmm. Right. And what can make it more difficult for people. Right. Like they found that shit out as well. But like, yeah, they they did it without any professional help. So there is there is no one path. Right. Um, but again, well, I think similarly, even in your your, you know, journey, 
uh, to becoming a doctor, uh, you know, and you started with a one direction in mind, and then you figured out that you really need to know a lot about psychology. So then you went down the, you know, psychology rabbit hole as deep mm-hmm. as you could. Right. And yeah. all of that uh, over time enhanced your practice. It's, yeah. it's enlightened you, you know, to your, what, how did you wear? I like how, how you said you had like a broader view. Right. Oh, 100%. That's amazing. It, Cause it's, it's instructive. It's like the, you know, what do they say? Knowledge is power. I, hell yeah. I want to learn about every, everything, you know, I can in any kind of like, if it even touches and what doesn't touch, you know, addiction, recovery, it's like, there's so much to learn. Mm-hmm. And it, there always will be, right? So, oh, dude, like I said, every every day I'm learning new stuff. But like, even then, your client gives you the fucking the clincher that completely changed everything. A whole epiphany. I was just like, holy crap, right? Like, and it's the irony is, is like, why didn't like why didn't I see that? Right. Right. Like, I mean, I wrote I actually had a poem published on um, suicide. It was called The Choice. Right. At one point in my life, like I scratched it down on a, a bar napkin one night when I was bouncing. And it's like like I was there. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have killed myself, but I wouldn't have not been heartbroken to not wake up tomorrow. Mm. Right? It just been easier. Fuck it. I've got so much stuff stacked up, so much pain, so much whatever. Like, you know, if if tonight's the last night, then then that's a blessing. Right. And so to to have been there, to have felt that, to have lived that and to have not seen that, (laughs) been aware of that, that, yeah, you know, maybe a lot of these other people are thinking that exact same thing, too. And I didn't care. I didn't care about what was going on. Mm-hmm. Right. I didn't care what other people said. I didn't give a shit. Right. Right. So, yeah, like that's that was a huge and I can't thank him enough. Like that was a huge epiphany. And hopefully because of his comment, because of his answer, I've been able to help more people. Oh, dude, without a doubt. I mean, and it, that's the coolest shit, too. When you I think true, true wisdom or true knowledge is knowing when you you know you were wrong or knowing when uh there's ways you can improve you know being uh, being able to have that kind of honest self-reflection and that self-awareness to say hey you know because sometimes random stuff dude i've had moments where the my kid you know he's he just turned 11 has said something to me that made me have one of those moments you know what i mean and it's I would have never, you know, no, I would have rejected anything like that. That made me even think that shit for a second. I would have been like offended or pissed because you're trying to (laughs) tell me some shit, Mm. Uh, you know, whether it's a kid or you or whoever, I'd Mm. be like, no, hell no. You know, like, I don't know. Pride is a funny thing. Ego. Mm. The ego. Yes. The ego. That's a whole talk right there is not your amigo man no no he's a uh a scared scared egotistical fear-driven a nuisance right. uh 
Yeah, it's uh, your ego's bad. Do not listen to your ego. Um, as Peter Crone says, uh, if it's not life threatening, it's only ego threatening. And oh. 99% of what we deal with is only ego threatening. Wow. Yep. That's it. That's deep. When, when I was first uh, starting out, I, I, I would say it was somewhere in the first year or two of true sobriety after I gave up you know, uh, the alcohol was like my last little reservation. Um, but it was like when my first run through the steps, actually, my, this dude told me that self-loathing, uh, is an extreme form of self-centeredness. And I was like, dude, it made so much sense when I heard it come out of his mouth. But when you're in it, you're like, no, you know, because you think that like being self-centered would mean that like you, you know, or like ego is like, I'm the shit, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like you think that you're better or more than or whatever. And it's not really, I mean, that's a form of it, Mm -hmm. But it can be the other way, and it's actually more extreme when it's the self-deprecating, self-loathing. You know, I'm always focused on what, you know, you said it perfectly earlier, Chad, when you said that you, like, the world was doing it wrong or it was Mm -hmm. happening wrong, right? Uh, When you're thinking in that kind of way, you know, it's like everything's about me, me, me. You know, it's poor me. It's weird. Dude, when he told me that shit, I think my head almost exploded, dude. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's those epiphany moments, man. That's the... Um, I still have them all the time. I, I swear I should spend... I should take like five showers a day because every time I take a shower, I'm like, oh, oh that's a great idea. I got to write that shit down when I get out. <laughs> right? Um, but yeah, uh, all the time, man. And it's... I'm still on my own path, right? Like, as I tell people, like, you know, I'm not levitating and shit yet. I still get my feet wet when I walk on water. I'm still working. <laughs> right? Like, uh, it's, it is, it's just progress, right? Like, um, we can all grow, we can all learn shit. And I guess like Socrates, right? Like true knowledge is understanding that, you know, shit. And if you're okay with that, then you can learn something. One of my favorite quotes is imagine what we could learn if we didn't already know everything. Wow. I right? love that. Yeah. And it's I apply that all the time. Like everything that I read, I read with an open mind. And like, yeah, this could this could prove everything that I currently believe to be not a fact. That's funny. Right? I've said I've I've done countless interviews and I don't know how many times I've said the most important thing I learned in my recovery is that I don't know shit. Mm, you know? 100%. And it, yeah. It's like so funny when I hear people, uh, you know, convey that message to me. I'm just like, yes, mm-hmm. I feel that. I feel yeah, that I so much. Man. Just apply that shit to life. Be like, I know shit. I, I again, like I, I used to think I was smart and educated, and it's like the more I learn, the like I didn't know shit. I still don't know shit because I'm still learning stuff. Right. right. Like I have, I have an understanding. And I think I have a a decent baseline understanding, but the human construct is too complex to say that this is just the way it is. 
right? Like, I don't think there is ever, um, like you have the, like just for addiction in general, right? Like, so you have the, you have the disease model, you have the biopsychosocial model, the biopsychosocial spiritual model, the learned model, the coping model, um, the new stress model. Like, I think it's all of them because it depends on who you're talking about and what they went through. Amen. Right. Like there is no one model. You can't like everybody wants to take this person and like stuff them into a hole and be like, okay, well, this is the way it is. And it's like, no, like I've talked to people where, you know, the parents were both uh, active addiction and, and one child like goes down that path and the other child does amazing. Explain that shit yeah. on any model because none of it works. Right. Right. So it's a huge reason why, when you know, we have really made it our mission from day one to try to have a wide range of people from different paths different sides, you know, different relationships with this stuff, because, you know, it's, you can learn a lot hearing about a victim of loss, you know, their story, or you can hear, learn a lot listening to a medical professional talk about, you know, treating or all these different things that, you know, there's so in all the different pathways and belief systems and, you know, sets of principles and all these things that people learn it's like you gotta get your sifter out and mm -hmm. and i want you know we wanted to create something that had a, a wide range of content like that so that people can find something that's going to work for them you know you hope, hopefully somewhere in there you know dig dig into the catalog find something that piques your interest check it out you know and then to hear their personal picks of resources that they like so maybe they can go further down the rabbit hole on their own and read that book or whatever yep. yeah man it's just like it ain't about us it's just about the recovery is real and people do it every day. I love that you said that 75% is the actual recovery rate because yes. dude, I'm not kidding. They tell you, you know, they, the proverbial, whatever, right. that it's nine out of 10 people fail. Mm -hmm. Why is that still thought to be common knowledge? Why is that, you know, what is it like a uh, culture believes or the wide spread belief there you go yeah that's uh, just what's regurgitated it's like um w one of the things that sent me down my path was i would ask because i wanted to know right like i'm i'm a searcher of knowledge like i love knowledge just for knowledge i get textbooks for christmas and my birthday right like i i just enjoy <laughs> researching shit <laughs> And I would ask the doctors, I'm like, okay, so like, like what is addiction? Like, like in between breaks or whatever, or afterwards or in meetings or whatever, I'd be like, so, so what is addiction? And they'd be like, well, it's a hijacking of the dopamine reward system, which is untrue. But I'd be like, so like, why is that important? How do you fix that? And no one could tell me, right? Like they would just regurgitate what they were told. They, they never broke it down into um like the whys and if you don't understand the whys you can't understand the hows to unravel things right um i would i remember one of my 
biggest epiphanies when way, way, way back in the day on, on um, addiction was understanding the term neuroplasticity. And I ran across it because I was trying to help my dad who's paralyzed on his, his left side. Um, and neuroplasticity is like how the brain rewires in um, uh, stroke patients, right? So that's where I started it. And then I was going down this rabbit hole of research and I'm like, I'm like, wait a minute. So neuroplasticity says that your brain is constantly changing. Well, if addiction is your brain changing and that it's the, the disease of addiction that's changing the brain, but your brain is always changing, how is that a disease? Meditation changes your brain. Stress changes your brain. Learning a musical instrument changes your brain. Learning a new language changes your brain. Learning anything changes your brain. I'm like, so how is this a disease? So I went in the next day to talk to these professionals that theoretically knew what they were talking about, about neuroplasticity. And, and like, I was really excited about having this conversation. And I'm like, hey man, like, what do you, what do you think about neuroplasticity? And like what that opens the doors for like addiction and recovery. And they're like, neuro what? One doctor had heard about it enough to say, that's a good concept i'm like it's not a concept it's a fucking field of research so the people that were supposed to be the most in the know didn't know about the scientific idea that literally destroys the disease model and i'm like okay like this is that's that was one of my things on i need to I need to learn this for me. I need to be able to understand it for me so I can explain it simply to others. And that started my, my deep dive into, into research. And that's what I use. It's a very short two minute video on like explaining to kids what neuroplasticity is. And I start every one of my patients on that because it is the hope that if you understand that your brain is constantly being rewired, and can rewire itself that you're not stuck no matter where you are, no matter what's happened, no matter what's happened in the past. And that's the, that's the token. That's the ticket. That's where it starts again. That's that. Can it be done? Yes. Well, yes, it can. And if it can, then perhaps you'll try. Yes. That's good stuff. Right. It is, man. Uh, there's actually, I think I'm going to try to connect you with him, man. A guy I know, Joe Booth. Oh, you hear the dogs? They're tripping. Uh, his name's Joe Booth. He, he, well, along with the help of some professors and, uh, you know, a lot of research, evidence-based, mm -hmm. it's all evidence-based. He created a recovery program called Class 5 Mind. Mm -hmm. And then uh, recently it, they rebranded it or changed the name. So now it's called become, but you would, I think you guys would hit it off. You know? Yeah, man, please. That'd be you awesome. Got a, you got a lot of the same, uh, you know, you're, you're moving in the same direction with this thing. And he's, you know, just like you, you know, he's trying to show everybody like, look, <laughs> like, there's a path, man. And my, again, for my dissertation, the whole concept is changing our societal wheels 
is going to be next to impossible, right? Like I said earlier, it's uh, the medical profession's got to change, the psychological yeah. profession, the, the um, legal uh, education, like all of it, insurance. It's all has it all has to change. But AA, twelve steps, is its own entity. It could update its stuff tonight if it wanted, and that would impact millions. There's like. Uh, last count, there's over 2 million people that attend AA around the world. So 2 million people at minimum could be impacted with real empowering correct information. Now it's still going to be a struggle. You still got to apply it, but at least have the right damn tools and the right direction to apply it. Right? Like, I don't see where the harm is in that. Like, I, I advocate this to groups and stuff all the time and they're like yeah but this and yeah but that and yeah but the 12 steps this i'm like do you want to recover or do you want to be right right because you're arguing you know, a mute point i i do i do think though and it's something that i've always uh just encourage people is to have a adopt the spirit of the student you know and and just if you seek it you'll find it and and try to really expand your horizons and learn stuff because you know in my experience i needed some of that stuff from aa but i also needed to learn about neuroplasticity and i do ever since i learned about like the microbiome and and you said this the second brain is your stomach and mm -hmm. Dude, I'm still I'm in, I'm still in Brett's camp. I eat like shit, but boy, <laughs> I think about it more and more. Mm -hmm. And you know, like that become program, they have a weekly meeting. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they usually have master classes. They'll have like speakers come in. I think that's one thing reason why I want to introduce you to Joe cuz I think mm -hmm. you would be an awesome uh master class guy to go in there. Yeah, and it's like learning about that stuff again and again. And then not only that, but then being plugged into a group where I, I can see some guys that are actually like doing that shit, uh, you know, cause we all got our things that, mm -hmm. you know, we're struggling with, but some of them are applying those concepts. And I'm like, man, I need to start doing some of that. I need to start trying to, you know, cook at home more, and to eat better and all that. So it's it's food for thought. Anything that you learn is is something else it's, it's that can enhance, you know. So, you know, I think maybe just people need to try to learn more, you know, just educate yeah. yourself, right? Like yeah. what's what's gonna make you well, because to your point, like uh, all these different things would have to change. But if people were just expanding their horizons and learning about a wide range of things, then they could put all that together for themselves, just like you did. And like say, you said, I learned all that shit. Yeah. No and just set it on a platter for me. <laughs> and so did all them people that put the fucking information out there in the seventies or the, you know, whatever, yeah, you know, exactly. it's like, it's, you said earlier, it's none of this is new information it's just yeah. not widespread and it, certainly none of those systems are going to make it their mission to to inform everybody because yeah. it 
it's going to fuck up their uh, business model. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it's good 100%. stuff, man. Yeah. So, if you do, you have any uh, like parting thoughts or something specific that you want to touch on uh, before we wrap it up? Um, the I'll impart a new idea that I've been pushing on all my uh, clients recently. And again, it's one of those, like, why hasn't this, like, why did this bell just now drop? So a lot of people, especially when you don't love yourself um, or you're in a shit storm, right? Like it's hard to think good thoughts about yourself or your life. You know, uh, you can learn to sing in the rain but at the end of the day, you're still fucking standing in the rain. So it's hard to think where you need to be when it's about yourself or your own life, when it's not where you think it should be. So you could simply apply the golden rule because we cannot, as a human being, we can't be in two states at one time, meaning you're either in sympathetic or parasympathetic, right? You're either in sympathetic, which is fight or flight, or parasympathetic, which is rest and recovery. You're not in both of those states at the same time. Parasympathetic, which is rest and recovery, gratitude, love, acceptance, compassion. Sympathetic is uh, stress, anger, guilt, grief, remorse, so if you're trying to think in a positive way and you can't, uh, you haven't learned how to think higher than you feel yet. And you're, you know, just having a shit day or, you know, you're just, you're just not there. If you apply the golden rule and truly love your neighbor, love your enemy. If you're thinking good things for them magically you happen to be in that same state yourself so even if you can't do it for you yet learn how to do it by doing it for someone else it will activate your reticular activating system which is basically a fancy word for psychological priming you'll be paying attention to it more You'll be using neuro-linguistic programming, which is literally teaching yourself how to talk about yourself in a positive way. It's conditioning and it is undoing old habits all while simply doing it for someone else. So true, man. And Bridge, to answer your question, he did mention earlier that he had, had tried to push for some policy changes on a couple occasions. So yes. yeah, both, um, both in Tennessee and in Colorado. Um, I spoke with, uh, uh, congressional aides, um, in Tennessee, it was very specific to the MAT programs and how horrible they were. And the fact that the majority of them did not have a recovery program. They had a revolving group that they called a recovery program. Um, and in Colorado, it was based on, uh, how, outdated the disease model is yeah so yeah dude that's awesome you you're truly an awesome guest i appreciate it <laughs> it's a, a pleasure to be here truly hell yeah 
Yell any, yell anytime. I, I can always do a cameo. <laughs> nice. That's what's up, dude. We we love having you tonight. There's a lot of good information, and you know, it's amazing. Anytime you hear somebody, you know, to Brett's point, that went from being like homeless and shit, and and hopeless, homeless and hopeless, to to you know, wow, you, you know, you not only have you achieved great things, but you're putting that stuff to use to, to try to help reach one and teach one, you know, that's it. That's, and that's, that's exactly what your closing thoughts were, you know, just try to do that for somebody else. Yeah. When I, when I, today? when I'm helping someone yeah. else, it gets me out of myself. It gets me out of that. And then I love how you pointed out too. I think that's very instructive to, to try to be more, you know, like positive than negative is all about, I think for me, it happened because of all the work that I did on myself yeah. and, and yeah. being that, uh, that sponge, you know, and wanting to soak up information and learn about all sorts of different stuff. Cause I didn't know what was going to work for me or if I could sustain this. So I felt like I needed every fucking tool I could fit in my toolbox right that was kind of where it came from i was just thirsty and after here it is i'm like in the summer it'd be seven years uh complete abstinence and i'm still this Congrats. thirsty sponge you know i never like lost the thirst it's like huh? weird how that works when you know the more you feed your brain you know the more good things you do for your soul and your spirit and your mind in your body the more you want of it 100 you know? so yeah be solution focused rather than uh problem focused is what i always tell people like yep. get out of the problem stop focusing on the negatives just move forward what are you doing today just that's that's, that's it i ask everybody all the time I'm like well that's fascinating what are you doing today about that hell yeah that's, that's all that matters you know when I'm when I'm having a shit day and I'm and I'm bitching, and I talk to my buddy Mike. He's always he'll be like, "So what's different today than was last week or last month?" You know, with this situation, and I'm like, "Nothing really, I guess." You know, <laughs> just he's <laughs> like, "It's your reaction to it today, right?" 100. Yep. So just because you're feeling a feeling doesn't mean that it's like fucking so final or absolute you don't have to freak out because you've been going through the same thing for last month and you're fine so why are you freaking the fuck out today mm -hmm. <laughs> like mm -hmm. i hate it when he's right <laughs> See, that's a that's a whole topic in and of itself but that's uh, a, a wrap up with the feelings feelings are just information you feel hot, you feel cold, you feel tired, you feel like you have to go to the bathroom, you feel hungry, you feel depressed, you feel stressed, you feel angry. Mm. It is just sensory information. It's supposed to be used as just information. If you're cold, turn up the heat. If you're hot, crank up the AC, open a window. If you're hungry, go get something to eat. If you're angry, what are you going to do about it? Mm -hmm. If you're depressed, what are you going to do about it? It's the same thing when you understand that that's all it is, is just sensory information. I would say feelings aren't facts. 1000%. It's a, yeah, perfect. 
They're not. It's just information. And most of the time it's incorrect. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, yeah. I am hungry. And right? honestly, <laughs> you think about it. Or like, are you bored? What, are you hungry or are you bored? Right? Like, yeah. What what drove me down the spiral? Mm. You know, it was because I was reacting to things, instant reactions, you know, based on my feelings mm-hmm. instead of taking a second to practice the pause, uh, being thoughtful about it, and then responding. This is a completely different yeah. change the game for me. That's change the good. game for everybody if they want to apply it. It's so good, dude. Mm. Yeah, I mean, mm. Brett. Stop being reactionary. Yeah. Be purposeful. Amen. I'm playing some different music because Ashley's not here tonight and she can't stop me. <laughs> Do it! <laughs> I know she's rebel. I know, I know. Awesome. Well, if you guys are joining us on YouTube, please be sure to subscribe to the channel, turn on your notifications, all that stuff, so you know when we go live, which is every Thursday night. Uh, Jason, would you like to tell us a little bit about your podcast, sir? Oh, okay. I suppose I shall. Me and my buddy Charles Lavore, we have the Way Out podcast. There's, I think, currently 334 episodes out. Uh, We release a new one every week. We share powerful personal recovery stories. And sometimes we'll just join up forces and we'll unpack powerful recovery topics, uh, common stumbling blocks, whatever you have. And then we also have the Way Out playlist, which is exclusively on Spotify, and that's a curated list of songs that symbolize recovery to all of our great guests. So check those out. Very nice, sir. I also do my own podcast, Recovery Survey, episodes every Wednesday, and it has been coined as Morsels of Recovery, typically 30 to 45-minute episodes. Uh I got one coming up with tonight's guest, chad here in a few weeks so check that out as well um i think that's everything chad thank you again for coming on man it's a always a pleasure to talk with you i'm sure we will have you back on and i know that ashley and lc are going to be super bummed when they watch the replay that they weren't (laughs) here and i'm sure they're going to have a whole list of questions so you'll definitely be back on at some point because i mean I feel like we just scratched the surface with all of your knowledge and understanding. And I, every time I talk to you, man, I feel like I just, I need to take like an hour and just sit there and just like (laughs) process. Yeah. Process everything that I've heard. So it was a pleasure, man. Thank you again for coming on. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, dude, you were great. Thank you. Awesome. Well, we will see you guys again next Thursday night with another guest, another recovery topic. And uh, remember, guys, progress, not perfection.